Welcome to the Rehope Podcast. Before we dive into this week's message, we'd like to provide you with some helpful resources. If you'd like someone to pray for you, it would be our joy to connect with you. So please email us at prayer at rehope.co.uk. If you'd like to get connected with an online Bible read-through group from wherever you are in the world, you can email brt at rehope.co.uk and be a part of a small group of people reading through the Bible cover to cover each year. Finally, if you would like to support the work and ministry of Rehope financially, you can do so online at rehope.co.uk slash giving. We pray you find this message encouraging, enlightening, and helpful. Enjoy. Today we get to enjoy a divine interruption because this day is a day set apart by God to be a feast of joy. Today we are celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles here as a church family because God loves these sorts of divine interruptions. He tells his people all throughout scripture to stop, remember, and celebrate. He tells us every week, take one day and stop, remember, and celebrate. Throughout the year, he says, stop, remember, celebrate. So that's what we want to do today because here at Rehope Church, we love a biblical feast. We love these unique moments in our calendar where we get to remember and treasure the salvation that we have and the great God who is behind it all. I've been working at Rehope for six years now, and one of the things I love most about our church is I love the Rehope rhythms. I love that sooner or later, everything comes back around. Fasting week comes back around, and that helps us recenter our lives. The Christmas choir comes back around, and that helps us survive a Glasgow winter. It always keeps coming around. But we're not unique in our love of repeated rhythms here. The passing of time, the seasons that we've been given, kind of throw us into those sorts of things. It's how we live. It's how we've been made to live. And so different cultures in different ways for always have created rhythms and rhythms within rhythms by which they understand meaning and they connect to each other and we're guided by them and we're helped by them. We help, we're helped to know, okay, how do we behave in any given moment? Um, what do we do? What is for now and what is for later? We create these uh, cultural calendars because we see life through cycling seasons and special times and we have many of them. We have things like the school year where we go, okay, September to June, September to June, September to June and repeat. We have the Starbucks year, which is pumpkin spice, eggnog latte, the long drought in between. We have Glasgow seasons, rain, less rain, sludge and so on. We make cultural calendars because God made us this way, embodied people living in real time, experiencing time passing through seasons. And because he made all things, it should come as no surprise to us that he's even designed the way we experience time and the way we experience seasons to point us to himself. He's established for us, long before us, which will exist after us, these rhythms of remembering him. Uh, Brian's going to get me in so much trouble again if my Bible read through are out of sync with everyone else. But last week we read Deuteronomy. Did anyone else read Deuteronomy last week? No? Some? Vic did. Great. We're in it together. Anna did. Okay, some of us did. I think some of us we were maybe breaking in different weeks. You either did a break last week or you're doing a break next week. Uh, but my group read Deuteronomy last week, and we read in Deuteronomy chapter 4 about how God used the law to set apart his people. It says this from verse 5. 
See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, this is Moses, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near to them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? God gave his people the law so that they could clearly be his special possession, special people for a special God. And in the same breath, he gives them his calendar, his appointed dates and times in the same section as part of the law. And we know that we're not under the law, and we know that Jesus fulfilled the law. But we value placing ourselves within God's calendar because just like he fulfilled the law, Jesus also fulfilled the calendar, these dates and appointed times. And allowing ourselves to be interrupted for things like this helps us to keep coming back to what is most important. Who is our God? Who is he? And what does this mean for us? It's not surprising maybe that in a church we would want to elevate the importance of what God has commanded. But it maybe is a little bit more surprising to be in church and for us to elevate the importance of God's calendar what he's set out for us in that way. And the reason we do is because, well, they're God-given dates. But more than that, they help us see the very real unfolding of his plan in real time. They, they are part of this incredible tapestry of revelation through which he's shown his hand throughout history to us. Western culture would tell us that there are two dates on God's calendar, at least the Christian calendar, Easter and Christmas. Jesus is born and then Jesus goes to the cross. Jesus is born, Jesus goes to the cross. But there's so much more goodness to see and enjoy when we look at the Bible. In Exodus 23, God instructs Moses about specific days at Mount Sinai, and it says this. Three times a year, you are to celebrate a festival to me. Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread. For seven days, eat bread made without yeast, as I commanded you. Celebrate the festival of harvest with the first fruits of the crops you sow in your field. Celebrate the festival of ingathering at the end of the year when you gather in your crops from the field. Three times a year, all the men are to appear before the sovereign Lord. Leviticus 23 also talks about the Lord's appointed festivals, the sacred assemblies you are to proclaim at their appointed times. Okay, so these appointed times don't include Christmas. Christmas is like a wonderful bonus where the world has decided to mark Jesus' birth at that time, which may or may not have been the time of his birth, but it's a good thing to celebrate, and we love Christmas here at this church. But Exodus 23 refers to three other feast seasons, and we celebrate these in some way. And you might be like, I don't remember us celebrating the Festival of Unleavened Bread. Well, let me tell you, the Festival of Unleavened Bread, three parts. Uh, it had um, Passover, where the Jewish people would remember God's angel passing over their houses. The Unleavened Bread Days, where they would remember the day that they were quickly released from slavery in Egypt. And then there was the first fruits, where Jewish people would bring the first fruits, the first produce from their harvest to Yahweh in worship. And if we were playing a game of snap, feast snap, then Easter would come into play here. Because at Easter, which we celebrate, obviously, we celebrate Easter, Jesus fulfilled this festival. And God tied together and put Jesus very obviously at the center of what he was doing here in his great plan to secure our forgiveness. And in a way that only God could, Jesus was crucified on the day of the Passover, showing himself to be our perfect Passover lamb once and for all, dying to atone for the sins of the people. 
He was in the grave during the days of unleavened bread. And then on the day of the first fruits, he rose from the dead. The first of those who would believe in him, trust in him, and then follow him to heaven. Exodus 23 also mentions the festival of harvest, otherwise known as the Feast of Weeks. And this was a celebration for the Jewish people of God's faithfulness and his provision. And according to Jewish tradition, this, it was during this festival that Moses received the written word of God from God on Mount Sinai. And in our game of snap, this festival aligns with Pentecost, which is why when we celebrate Pentecost, we lead up to Pentecost with Bible week, because we want to celebrate the written word of God, and we want to celebrate the giving of the Holy Spirit, and how those two things connect and intertwine in God's story. It was during this Jewish festival that the disciples were gathered together in one place, and they received the Holy Spirit, and where when the law was given, 3,000 died the Holy Spirit is given and 3,000 receive new life. And God shows us, okay, the Spirit is better than the law. Look at what I'm doing here. And where once God's people had to keep the law to be his family and to be seen to be his family, we now have the Holy Spirit. We have God's presence in us as our seal and guarantee that we are adopted into his family. Sometimes I think unless you're Pentecostal, Pentecost is the underdog. But if Pentecost is the underdog, then today's feast is like the underdog of the underdog. Um, Exodus 23 talks about the festival of ingathering at the end of the year when you gather in your crops from the field. And this is where today's feast is going to have its moment. This festival also had three parts, and it's the final part that we're celebrating today. The first part was the Feast of Trumpets, and this was a call to repentance because the sound of trumpets someday will signify that it is time to stand before the judgment throne. In Matthew 24, 31, we see this. It says, The Son of Man will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. First Thessalonians 4 says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, and then so on and so forth. Because the Feast of Trumpets was a time of repentance, it was often accompanied by good deeds. And that's why we do things like Generosity Week or Gifts Week leading into our Autumn Feast. Not because we think we have to do good things to earn our place in heaven or to be saved, but because we want to be about our Master's business when he returns and because it helps plant us within the history of this festival as well and what it means that we have Jesus. So it was the trumpets, repentance, and then it came the Day of Atonement. And this was the one day a year when people in the Old Testament were commanded to fast. It says this in Leviticus 23, The Lord said to Moses, The tenth day of the seventh month is the Day of Atonement. Hold a secret assembly and deny yourselves. For Jewish people, this day was viewed as a sort of judgment day. This was the day when the priest, rope around his ankle and all, would go into the Holy of Holies and he would make a blood sacrifice on the mercy seat. And they would be waiting to see, okay, is God going to grant us another year? Is God going to accept the blood sacrifice as an atonement for our sins? Or are we going to be disciplined? On the Day of Atonement, we now think about that final judgment day described in Revelation chapter 20, where we stand before God and it says that two books are going to be opened. First, as we stand before him, the book of deeds, the book of our deeds what we've done, how we've lived. And by that book, we all fall short of the glory of God. We all fall short of his goodness and his perfection. But then a second book is opened, and it's the Lamb's book of life. And all that matters in that moment is, is my name in that book. 
And if I've given my life to Jesus, if I've trusted in what he's done for me on the cross, then my name is there. He has got me. He's bought me back. I'm in his family and I'm ready to be ushered into heaven with him. My salvation is secure. On the Day of Atonement, we pray and fast as a church for salvations because we want people to come to know Jesus. We want to see their names written in that book as well. And then finally comes the Feast of Tabernacles on the Feast of Booths, it's sometimes called. And that is today. A tabernacle would have been a portable, sacred tent. A booth was a temporary dwelling, similar And during this feast, Jewish people remembered their time in the wilderness. They remembered their time in temporary dwellings in the wilderness where they came to know God's provision and his power and his presence during that season of their lives. And as we celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, we think of heaven. And we think of that moment, that great day when we are ushered into our permanent, eternal home with God. And if we zoom out for a second, as we look at these dates and times and how they tie together, we can see that there is a great tying together, trustworthy plan. If Jesus has fulfilled everything so far, then that tells me that he will fulfill his promises to me and he will take me to be with him someday in heaven. That's why this is a feast of joy today. Not pretend joy or superficial happiness, but the joy we can have because heaven is real and we can trust what God has said. As we look at our eternal future, we can have joy. And as we look at our right here and now, we can have joy too. Because as we look at these dates and times and we see how God has fulfilled everything so far through Jesus, not only does that tell us, okay, he will keep his word to us and he will take us to be with him perfectly in his presence someday. But also when I look at that and I see how intricately and beautifully God has tied everything together in a way that only God can, then I look at my own life. And I see I can trust him with that too. I can see that God's not winging it. So be encouraged today that God's not up there rolling some heavenly dice when it comes to your life. And that actually he is not disarmed or defeated by your suffering or by what's happened to you or what you're going through or any of the fallen circumstances of your life. He is in this with us for the long game and he is doing a good thing. And he is amazingly intricate in his planning and in his goodness. And if he's like that on the like macro history of the world scale, then I can take hold of the fact today that he's going to be like that on the micro story of my life and future scale as well. But let's zoom in for a second, because today specifically we are celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles, and we can read about this feast in Deuteronomy chapter 16. We read this, it says, Celebrate the festival of tabernacles for seven days after you have gathered the produce of your threshing floor and your winepress. Be joyful at your festival, you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levites, the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns. For seven days, celebrate the festival to the Lord your God at the place the Lord will choose. For the Lord your God will bless you in all your harvest and in all the work of your hands, and your joy will be complete. From its beginning, this feast has been a feast of joy. God commanded joy, and the people at that time were remembering his goodness, his provision, his care, and they had joy. For us, our joy comes from the joy set before us, that time when we are ushered into God's presence, into our eternal home in heaven with him, when we see our name is written in the book of life, and we know finally, without a shadow of a doubt, that this was real, and that everything God promised is true and has been fulfilled. 
On that day, judgment will be over and we will have joy. On that day, suffering will be over. Loss will be over. Depression defeated. Fear gone. Every tear wiped away. And as God's family will be welcomed into his home, we don't need to ignore the realities of life to celebrate with joy today. We can look them right in the face and remember heaven and celebrate with joy today. In Revelation 21, John sees it. And he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. And these words are trustworthy and true. And we are feasting today because we're looking forward to that great wedding feast at the end of the ages. And we're feasting today because it helps us get what we believe into our bones for us to know that it is real. These feasts help us connect our faith with action, our hope with worship. For the Jewish people, they lived in literal tents while they remembered their time in the wilderness. For us, we're going to eat food, real food. We're going to have candy floss and paint children's faces because it helps get this into our bones that heaven is worth celebrating today. Three quick joy-bringing challenges this morning. The first thing is, is just to lift our eyes up today. I find for me it takes daily, weekly, yearly rhythms of worship for me to get my gaze out of the earthly stuff that I am so entrenched in. I feel that pull in my heart all the time. I notice it in my prayer life. Days like today help us to lift our eyes up together as family in this place. And I wonder on a scale of one to the angelic hosts themselves, how much are you living right now? How much do you feel like your true home is in heaven? How much do we know that in our heart? How much does that change our lives? Second thing is to reorder the ranking this morning. Just like we can get entrenched in the earthly stuff, I know that sin in me means that I naturally gravitate to getting completely entrenched in myself. I make this all about me. We can take forgiveness and freedom and we sometimes try to then put God into our lives, into our timelines, our plans, our hopes. When in reality, days like today help us to remember that this is all about him. This is all about him. Heaven reveals him, his goodness, his perfection. This is his world. And by the grace of God, I get to be adopted into his family. Let's bring heaven closer today. Sometimes, often, I think it can take tragedy to strike for heaven to feel close and real. And that's understandable. And that's good for heaven to feel close in those moments. But I think that's because so often we think of like earth, now, heaven, later. Earth, here, heaven, far away. Earth is when we're alive. Heaven is when we're dead. But I look at God's appointed 
dates and times and how he has strung everything together throughout history. And it, it just strikes me that God's story is much more like a thread from beginning to end. We were created for heaven. We were made for heaven and we are on our way back there. We're on our way to be restored, to be the way we were meant to be with God perfectly for all time. Heaven is real and heaven is now. And yes, we're not there yet, but we are citizens of heaven now if we've given our lives to Jesus. Philippians 3 says, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Heaven's not a kid's story or wishful thinking. Heaven is our true home. And it's not a detached reality either. In heaven, God's will is perfectly enacted. And as God's children here on earth, we get to call that down when we pray, God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's story throughout history and how he's engaged with mankind is just full of these like divine breadcrumbs on earth where it's like, okay, sign now and the fullness of that reality later. Feast now and the fullness of that reality later. And today is no exception. Today is a moment where we get to think, okay, heaven is now and heaven is then. And it's going to be perfect and it's going to be full and it's real. And we can celebrate the realness of heaven this morning with each other as we eat veggie chili. It's good. It's good news. The actual challenge this week is to find a real, tangible way you can celebrate the hope of heaven this week. Uh, what I mean by that, because Christians love the word tangible, what I mean by that is just a real way. So like, for example, go for a walk somewhere beautiful. Reflect on the beauty of God, the perfection of God, how beautiful it's going to be in heaven. Eat something delicious. Think about how good it is and how good it's going to be to eat that marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven with God someday. Do something that brings you joy, like real great joy and happiness, and think about how happy you're going to be someday to be with Jesus and have suffering be over and all the goodness that it's going to be to be in heaven with him. That's the challenge. Bonus if you can do one every day because this is meant to be a seven-day-long festival of joy as well. Jesus celebrated this feast. Uh, in John chapter 7, John records how on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. Others said, he is the Messiah. Still others asked, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? The people were divided because of Jesus. This side of heaven, we all thirst for something more. We all feel the brokenness on the inside of ourselves. For some of, that, for some of us, that might feel like the sort of brokenness that we can um, ignore or kind of squash to one side. For others of us, it's much more uh, glaring and obvious, but we all have it. And the Bible calls that brokenness sin. And it's not something that comes over us to make us do bad things. It's something that comes out of us. And every generation for all time, every people group, Every nation, we have looked for solutions to this problem. Better leaders, better rules, better systems, but nothing has been able to deal with the problem of sin, with the problem of evil in our world. And the story of the Bible is a story of a God who made us 
and loved us so much that he was not prepared to leave us in the mess of our own making, but actually came himself, sent his son, Jesus, to be that perfect sacrifice, to take on the sin of the world and to die so that we could be free, so that we could have life, so that we could know him and be made new now and forever. Because he had no sin, death couldn't hold him. And God raised Jesus from the dead. And he's now seated in heaven in our true home. And someday, if we trust in him, we can go and be with him too. When Jesus spoke about himself, people were divided. And they wondered, who is this man? Is he a prophet? Is he the Messiah? How can that be? I wonder today, who do you say he is? As we think about heaven... Who do you say Jesus is today? I'm going to pray, and then we're going to go into the next time together. Jesus, we look at you now, and we look at your words. Where on this day, a long time ago, you said, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. And God, we just say right now that we are thirsty for more. For you and for the life that only you can give, for the healing that only you can bring on the inside of us, for the forgiveness that only you can offer. And Lord, just in the quiet of this space right now, for any of us who particularly want to reach out for you today, we do that. And we just say, Jesus, we need you. We see this story that you're writing throughout history. And God, we want to be part of it. We want to take hold of what you've offered us here. Full forgiveness. A restored heart. And an eternal home with you. So we take hold of that today. And for any of us who want to do that for the first time, Lord, we choose that this morning. Or for those of us who felt lost and far away, we choose that this morning. And I just pray, God, fill us with your Holy Spirit who would open our eyes to you and help us to see you today, to see the truth of heaven, to see the story you're writing and to have hope grow deep in our hearts for joy to be real this morning because we're going to look at heaven and remember that that is real and that is now and that is for our eternity with you, God. Help us, Lord. Bring your peace and bring your life and continue to speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.